0: You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network.
1: Hello, everyone. You're listening to Metamorphosis, a podcast designed to help medical students navigate their medical careers. Today's episode is part of our residence series, where we are interviewing residents with the aim of learning about their path to residency and the ins and outs of their specialty. My name is Aiden. And my name is Autumn. Today
2: we are joined by Dr. Scott Stewart, a third-year general internal medicine resident and one of UBC's most enthusiastic clinical skills tutors.
1: Hello Dr. Stewart, thank you for joining us.
0: What a kind introduction, hello! <laughs>
1: <laughs> well why don't we start off by giving you the floor so you can tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Uh, sure, so... Uh, My name is Scott. Uh, I originally grew up in Calgary, Alberta, did undergrad and medical school over at U of A Edmonton and uh, at the end of 2017 graduated and matched to the UBC internal medicine program. Uh, So I spent the last three years uh, being an internal medicine resident there and uh, just recently I've actually matched to the five year uh, general internal medicine fellowship program after my three year uh, in uh, Vancouver. So I'll be here for at least two more years with you fine people
2: yeah you're sticking around
0: (laughs) thankfully haven't decided to run back home yet (laughs) (laughs) no i've actually really fallen in love with surfing so uh (laughs) oh cool (laughs) Uh, yeah i need to keep doing that yeah
2: it's a little hard to do that in edmonton eh?
0: (laughs) not impossible but definitely hard (laughs) not that easy to do it out here either though (laughs) got a long ways to go (laughs) it's not that easy to do anywhere i learned
2: (laughs) (laughs) accurate Oh, that's great. Well, again, thanks, Scott. Thanks for joining us on the show. We really appreciate having you on. Um, so I want to start off by talking a little bit about uh, how you decided on the residency specialty, because so at UBC we operate on a spiral curriculum. So each week is a new topic rather than going in blocks. Um, and one of the toughest things that I've found so far, and I know when I chat with Aiden, it's the same thing, that honestly, each week, I'm pretty sure that this week's topic is the most interesting thing, and that's the specialty they want to do. And the next week, I'm, I'm on to the next thing. Um, so I'm quite curious about how you ended up picking between the various specialties and what ultimately led you to make the choice to pursue internal.
0: Uh, I can say I definitely had a very similar experience uh, to that, like I thought, especially for like for the first year. Uh, when we got introduced to a new topic i was all about that it was super interesting um and i think that was definitely an attitude that i carried well into a clerkship my very first rotation actually was in internal medicine um over in uh, one of the smaller hospitals in edmonton um, oh interesting oh yeah and i remember just like being absolutely in love with every single thing i was learning um and that uh i think that initial i thought like you know oh for sure this is going to be me in every clerkship i'm going to really love everything certainly into pediatrics uh, I definitely did have a similar experience to that Um, but as as I went through kind of like family obs guy general surgery psychiatry I found I didn't quite have um, as much of a keen interest as I did in internal medicine and I I think one of the things that really drew me to that was um, just the ability of even a clerk on internal medicine to kind of really be a part of the team and kind of really uh, feel like they were an efficacious uh, member and uh, caretaker of patients and uh, internal medicine is awesome that you get to develop very close relationship with your patients and become um, strong advocates for them and really feel like you own them as a health as a, uh, medic- healthcare worker. So that was really a uh, very powerful uh, and very exciting experience for me. And um, I took some electives uh, in internal medicine, and I think well into my third year, I was kind of toyed, toyed between uh, internal medicine and uh, pediatrics, certainly. And I think towards the end of third year, um, I can't really say why i ended up deciding it there were a couple factors that i think that influenced me towards internal medicine but um i think i just remembered that feeling of um empowerment and that uh just my keen interest in everything that was related to internal medicine and uh it just kind of one day just seemed like the right path for me to take so i took some additional electives which really seemed to solidify my choice and tried to get a good variety of subspecialty um, uh, and that's kind of how I became to be an internal medicine resident. And I'm, I'm happy to say that that was a very good choice because so far I've been really enjoying it.
2: Oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, always good to hear that it's still uh, still the case that you're enjoying it three years in and especially even in the oh, yeah. middle of a pandemic, you're still saying the same thing. So that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty pretty exciting to hear about. <laughs> One thing I'm curious about just looking at uh, putting yourself in our shoes a little bit being earlier on in medical school, were those, was there anything that you did you know, in your first preclinical years, um, that helped you to even narrow things down a little bit. So we've heard a lot in some of our other episodes about, you know, the surgical medical choice, or some people are maybe able to do have a couple of experiences that either put something higher on the list or lower on the list. Um, was there anything that you found particularly helpful even kind of before clerkship or something that we could think about doing?
0: Yeah. Great question. Um, so yeah, it sounds like that kind of medical versus surgical thing is a very common theme that you guys are told, and I, I think it's really accurate. I, I know as a student I felt a lot of pressure to kind of buy clerkship, uh, have made up my choice, and I think especially when you guys are thinking about electives very early on in your third year uh, for clerkship, uh, it can be quite stressful, and I, I truly I feel like if you have uh, a good idea as to whether or not you want to go medical versus surgical, I think that's a great place to be in at the end of your second year, so I would strongly encourage you to not pigeonhole yourself too early on okay with respect to and like even then i i, sh- I should also add um even if you kind of make one decision and suddenly you're swayed to the other uh, i do know people who have made uh, very quick changes between medicine versus more surgical specialties and they have still matched very well in carms so i i at the end of the day like it's the die is not cast until you're actually applying for carms and you can still get very amazing reference letters well into fourth year and still match to whatever specialty you want.
2: Yeah, it's really, really reassuring to yeah. to hear because it feels like, <laughs> you know, once you lock in, you're just, you're kind of stuck.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. And, and that honestly, the, the sad reality is like, as soon as you get into clerkship, the, the first question everyone's going to ask you is, oh, hi, what's your name? And the second is, oh, what do you want to do? Right. And you, you'll often not know how to answer that question. So it's it's perfectly fine to just say, I'm undifferentiated, but, and, uh, or just to say, oh, I'm interested in this, teach me more. And they'll yeah yeah. <laughs> Definitely do that.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah. i know i want to be an interventional yeah. neuroradiologist i want
0: to be a subspecialty like gynae <laughs> <laughs> fellow that's like, specifically it nothing else yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah uh we, we had talked a little bit before but uh in my, my medical school experience i was the very first one in my family to ever even really pursue a career in medicine right i didn't really know uh, a lot of doctors like really only my family doctor was the only one and um, I had some friends whose, whose parents were uh, physicians, um, but I really had not a lot of contact with them. So the idea of a medical special to me at the time really wasn't uh, like a very clear concept. Um, in our internal era, I should say in our uh, pre-clerkship years, we did have exposure to family medicine practice, which it sounds like you guys have a similar experience where you ha- you're paired with a preceptor and you go maybe once every couple months to go visit the clinic, see some patients, uh, practice maybe taking some histories or shadow Uh, which gets you some exposure to family medicine, certainly. Uh, Additionally, we had the opportunity to uh, arrange shadowing, which I think you guys have as well. Um, I think that is a pretty neat experience. Um, Obviously, it requires a bit of effort on your guys' to set up and find a preceptor who's willing, and I definitely encourage you to try to find some services with residents uh, because staff can obviously give you a lot of experience and uh, idea as to what their specialty is like and kind of what sorts of things they find uh, interesting. But I think it's the residents who can really help you kind of identify whether or not this is a specialty you might be interested in and give you some insight as to why they would have chosen that particular specialty. And obviously, they're just a lot easier to talk to. So if you are setting up shadowing experiences, I would strongly encourage you to try to find one that does have a, a resident component to it. With respect to my experience, obviously, I, I did shadow uh, a good amount. Um, I was experiencing, I was, or I was tying toy between um, medicine and pediatrics. So I kind of tried to split my time up uh, between those two. Uh, I also found as a student that shadowing eMERGE was pretty awesome because it's like one of the first exposures you get to fairly acute medicine. And uh, eMERGE is really great for a student because, I mean, it's history, physical exam, investigations, diagnosis, differential, and plan, right? That's in in a a very quick amount of time. So that's a really good experience for you guys to try to put that into uh, perspective there. Um, One really amazing opportunity I had shadowing uh, was with a program we had where we got paired with an R1. Uh, We signed up, we got paired randomly with an R1, we kind of specified if we had any particular interest beforehand, and then we got put in email contact with them, and then we tried to negotiate a uh, time to come shadow, and I got paired with uh, a really great uh, great guy named Mike. Uh, He was an internal medicine resident at the time, and he uh, offered to take me on as a shadowing pre-clerk on one of his call shifts for a hematology service over at the University of Alberta Hospital. it was really awesome. He told me to, you know, find some scrubs, uh, wear my stethoscope, bring my ID badge, and he would kind of show me around. And uh, when I got there, it was like really just us. So it was a super low-key experience. He showed me around the hospital. He introduced me to the EMR. He introduced me to some of his patients and let me kind of examine them and talk to them for a bit. Uh, we did some teaching, um, and it was a just a truly phenomenal experience. And um, I'm sure that that had something to do with my eventual choice in internal medicine, because I remember just looking at him thinking, like, I can't believe how smart this guy is and, like, how calm he is in spite <laughs> of the fact that he's alone uh, in a very complicated hematology ward overnight at a huge hospital. Um, I, I thought it was so rad. and we, I actually ended up shadowing with him a couple more times on different services, which I think really uh, helped put internal medicine uh, on my radar as a potential specialty. Um, so for those of you, yeah, so I, what's for those of you, some of you may already have very good ideas of where you want to end up, and that's awesome. And I would encourage you to keep your minds open. And for those of you like me who might not, um, definitely pay attention to like, what is really fascinating to you uh, in your uh, studies. Um, consider exploring some shadowing opportunities. And as you guys are learning different things, try to match up spe- shadowing opportunities to those, particular, um, to those particular areas. And I think that will really help not only solidify your learning but give you a sense of what you like. And um, especially if you're considering a surgical specialty, I think it would be very, a very good idea to get into the OR fairly early uh even just shadowing mm-hmm. um introduce yourself to some of the residents get a sense for um why they chose that specialty and because um, i know with uh, surgical specialties the the lifestyle can be uh, a bit different and um i think it's important to get exposed to that quite early and make sure that you're prepared for that because i know some surgeons who are, are just absolutely in love with her uh with, with what they do and they can make, obviously it's if that's what you need to do then like it's it can be really amazing but i think you need to understand kind of what you're getting yourself into as well
2: right Right. And I think it's a really good idea that you mentioned too about shadowing or offering to shadow residents too, to get you a little bit more of a, an idea of what's coming down the pipeline. Right. Because you've, you, if you're in first year, second year, you've got clerkship to look forward to, and then you're going to be right in residency. You're going to be in their shoes. Mm -hmm. And so it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good glimpse into what's coming down, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and that's uh, I guess that's also that's part of the reason why we're, we're putting together episodes like this to get uh, to pick your brain a little bit as to you know what uh, how you ended up deciding and, and what residency actually is uh, because you hear that I don't know for me I hear that big word of residency and it just sounds a little bit stressful, not gonna lie
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> sure. um, And so uh, that's I think that's a lot of really helpful advice and things that we can kind of take away. It'll be really useful. so that's great. Um, and I think one other thing that comes up quite a bit when we're having this kind of conversation is the uh, the notorious CARMS process. Um, so just wondering a little bit about what your experiences was, just kind of in general with it. And if you have any just kind of, you know, retrospective wisdom that might help uh, put some of our listeners at ease a little bit when they're thinking about Karm's and everything that goes into that.
0: For sure. Um, I will say up front that uh, eventually, you know, between third and fourth year, you're going to decide what you want to do more or less, and you may have a couple things on the on the list, which is great, and you're going to start looking into programs and kind of where you want to end up in terms of location. Um, I strongly encourage you to remember kind of the feelings that you have right now, that like that really awesome feeling of oh, everything's wonderful, everything's so neat, um, and keep in the back of your mind why you became a physician in the first place. Um, The reality with CARMS is that not everybody ends up exactly where they want to be in the specialty they want to be in. I think for the most part, like 90% of you will end up in your top three choices, which is awesome. Some of you might not, um, but at the end of the day, you didn't, most of you, I assume, didn't come into medicine because you wanted to be a internal medicine specialist in Vancouver. You didn't want to be a plastic surgeon in Saskatchewan. You wanted to be a doctor and you wanted to help people and you wanted to see some cool science. Um, CARMS I think uh, puts you the mindset that you know I'm only going to be happy if I match to XYZ program in this 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 spot um, in reality you're going to find a lot of things about specialties that you really enjoy and that, that could make you very happy as a as a uh, practicing physician and as a person um, lots of really great career opportunities very fulfilling obviously good financial gains so um, I would always challenge you to c- challenge that um, that mindset that you know this is the one place that i need to be otherwise i'm not going to be happy um i did have a a very good friend in medical school who who went unmatched despite being an amazing candidate and oh yeah sometimes it just happens there's a large amount of candidates it can be a very impersonal process and um just because you know someone gets selected or gets interviews at xyz school doesn't mean that the person who didn't is any worse of a student than them it just means it was kind of the luck of the draw right um he gave a really great talk to the, the class below him and we were all there to to witness it and uh, just the strength of his character. And he said in chatting with his, uh, his dad, because he was like seeking obviously some comfort in, the, in a very stressful time, his dad said, well, you know, there was lots of things that you enjoy about being a med student and a lot of things that you'll enjoy about being a doctor. And just because you didn't get this program in this city, you know, you'll find ways to enjoy this in, in this in another city. And Sure enough, he ended up in a family medicine residency in um, McGill, which is where he's from originally, which he was quite pleased about. And now he's actually moved out to Vancouver here doing a plus one in anesthesia. And he's like a ridiculously happy guy and really enjoying it. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And a couple of my close friends too have gone into residency, spent a couple years in a, a given program and said, you know what? I'm actually not really happy. I want to ch- I want to switch out. And they found a program who was willing to take them on and they did some electives. It was a good match. And they've transitioned over to a different program. Um, So even if you think that you have a pretty good idea that you're going to be happy, you match to a good program, recognize that it might not be a perfect fit at the end of the day. And there is some flexibility in terms of where you end up. If you're a good enough resident, you'll be able to move into another spot. So um, CARMS will be stressful, certainly, but don't feel like it's a one-way conveyor belt to a a brick wall. Like there's lots of flexibility. Um, So that'd be my first huge piece of advice is please just try not to stress about it Um, and recognize that it doesn't reflect you as a person. It's just kind of one person's. Limited snapshot of who you are as a person. Speaking to that, so my carms uh, process was a bit tumultuous. Going into fourth year, I was very hard internal medicine. I had only electives in internal medicine. Very a couple different subspecialties. Went uh, to Calgary and Hamilton and Edmonton as electives. Got some pretty good reference letters. Uh, had some pretty good stuff on my resume. Uh, unfortunately for some reason it was a very busy year for internal medicine i think calgary alone got 400 uh, applications for their internal medicine program of like 20 people yeah and i actually only ended up getting two interviews off the bat out of uh, 11 schools that i applied to which was quite challenging eventually like appealed to a couple programs and got two more interviews Um, but thankfully ubc one of my top choices uh accepted me from the get-go uh had a great interview experience got to meet some of the people in the program here Um, and ultimately, uh, matched to UBC internal, which, uh, has been just a phenomenal experience so far. And I'm very happy about it.
2: I honestly, I feel, I feel
0: a lot, I feel a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, man. And you'll forget that. And it's fine. You can just, (laughs) yeah, just write it down in a piece of paper.
2: We'll just replay this episode, you know, 95 times.
1: (laughs) Um, so yeah, now that we've sort of walked you through like the path of getting to your residency, um, we're going to ask you a few questions sort of on that aspect of transitioning into residency. And something that's ever present in the world of medical education, and it may just be my general confidence, <laughs> is the feeling of imposter syndrome. Was this something that followed you
0: in your transition into residency or something that you ever experienced? Uh, I've had imposter syndrome since day one of medical school, and it has not left me since. So Terrifying to hear. <laughs> you're not alone. Don't stress. <laughs> Terrifying and reassuring at the same time. That's a weird spot. <laughs> one of my friends told me, I don't know if I'm even good enough to have imposter syndrome. and I, I just... <laughs> <laughs> have imposter
2: syndrome about having imposter syndrome. Yeah, I know.
0: Ugh, like, I'm not even that successful. I don't know why I have it. Um, imposter syndrome is a real thing. I think it really happens to everybody. I think, uh, obviously, with imposter syndrome, the the general Idea is that no one else has it, and you kind of feel very alone and isolated. I think the easiest thing in the world is to kind of just quickly chat with someone else and say, "Hey, listen, I'm feeling a bit out of my head," and they they were maybe very quick to remind you that they are in the exact same spot as you. So, don't stress about that. Um, so transitioning to uh, resident residency, uh, yeah, it was it was obviously quite harrowing. Uh, I had the added complexity of moving to a city that I'd never lived in before and um, starting in a uh, program that I never really experienced firsthand. I hadn't actually done an elective as a medical student out in UBC, so it was all very fresh, Uh, moving away from all of my family, um, and uh, thankfully taking a couple friends with me from U of A uh, to UBC, which was quite awesome. Um, I will say the the, the program at least at UBC uh, internal medicine was pretty phenomenal. They reached out very quickly and uh, gave me some guidance, put me in touch with some of the residents, uh, including one uh, who had moved over from Edmonton, so I had some opportunities oh, to kind nice. of pick their brain. Yeah, it was pretty pretty nice to have that kind of guidance. Um, uh, UBCIM was particularly awesome because we had a boot camp for the first two weeks where we kind of just brushed up on our basic uh, content knowledge, learned some uh, good clinical skills, reviewed codes and that kind of thing. So at least overnight, we had some we had a, a bit of a life jacket to keep us afloat <laughs> <laughs> on our very fir- harrowing first experience overnight on call. Um, I think it was uh, quite challenging. One of the things I remember being very interesting was like showing up on my first day as a junior resident and realizing that I had to teach and guide medical students. And I had like literally just been (laughs) one like a month ago. (laughs) Um, I think surprisingly one of the first experiences I I had kind of looking back on it was um, interacting with an MSI 3 who was on CTU with me and realizing just like how much I had learned. Um, and like seeing kind of where I had been a couple of years ago and realizing what I knew now, it was, it was actually a pretty awesome experience, um, to have that and be able to teach them things that I had learned over the last couple of years and obviously didn't have the best grasp on the content knowledge, but being able to give little piece of advice, like, oh, I've, I've made this mistake before. This is how I fixed it with X, Y, and Z. And, um, at least to like kind of let them know, like, you know, this is absolutely abnormal. I'm not sure what's going on, but let's talk to our senior about it and, um, so that was definitely reassuring. And obviously it took me a while to learn the uh, ins and outs of the, the system and um, didn't feel very confident. But uh, in a very short time, uh, I was very fortunate to meet a group of uh, 50 other co-residents in internal medicine here at UBC. And all of them were just so fantastic and all very willing to kind of be the first one to say, I too, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say that I, I never really felt uh, too alone on that front and obviously kind of going through R1 and R2 you have some pretty good days and sometimes you just don't really get to feel like a very good doctor. Um, you make mistakes and it happens and you know sometimes you do just don't get the best feedback on a rotation and that just r- sucks. It's very hard in residency to make time for the things that you care about especially in that first year it can be pretty harrowing and um, I will tell everybody to like try right now during med school during your pre-clerkship or clerkship to find ways to make time for the things you care about because Residency is going to really test that and um, it's a great opportunity to practice those good time management skills and make sure that you are doing and finding time for the things that you really care about and the things that bring you joy in life because sometimes when work is crappy, you know, like I know, okay, I have to go home, I have to sleep, I have to wake up, I have to work out, I have to call my friend, these are the things I need need to do to get back on track and I'm thankful for clerkship to kind of, for teaching me how to do that and uh, I think those are skills that you can learn now that will be very helpful to you in residency.
1: How did you deal with the fear of making mistakes when you have this increased responsibility of a resident?
0: Uh, not well at first. I can imagine. <laughs> not, not, at first, not very well. Um, I think a resource that I did not use very well early in my uh, residency and something that I have tried to use more uh, was going to my co-residents and certainly my senior residents. Um, I remember having a particularly rough couple weeks on a CT rotation uh, in the in October of my first year. Uh, and I knew kind of from people speaking to me that um, or like some of the older residents speaking to me that uh, October and January tend to be very tricky because the winter kind of starts to come in and people are getting sicker with the flu and stuff, so services are a bit busier um, obviously days are getting a bit shorter, so it's getting a little harder to keep the mood up and uh, I was having a couple a rough couple weeks and uh, my senior and myself and the other juniors were um, kind of just having a couple drinks after work and I had mentioned that I ha- was having a rough time and my senior lost his mind. He was like, what do you mean you're having a rough time? Why didn't you tell me? And he, he said, like, he, and he's an ama- he was an amazing R3. He was so amazing, uh, very knowledgeable, super good at clinical skills. And he just, like, screwed at me. He was like, I wanted to quit, like, five different times at R1. Like, <laughs> why didn't you just tell me you were having a rough time? And it just made me feel instantly so much better. Like, oh, my God, thank God someone else feels the way I do. Um, and that just completely turned me around and, um, hopefully your seniors will reach out to you and kind of just let you know that, uh, it's totally cool to feel like complete, like a completely stupid person who shouldn't be in residency. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Cause I feel like that all the time. Awesome. <laughs> That's my natural state.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. that totally happens. Uh, so recognize that it's going to happen, um, and know who your go-to people are. Obviously your friends in your class are very important and, uh, your seniors are, I've all certainly been through that too. And if you if you're with a senior who you think is really approachable, just kind of like, as you mentioned, hey, listen, I'm having a rough time, and I'm sure they'll happily give you some words of encouragement.
1: Nice. So communication is key.
0: Huge. Yeah.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about what a day to day is like for you, and maybe how that's
0: changed over the past three years? Sure. Sounds good. So as a a student or a junior uh, resident, so you guys will show up uh, internal medicine at uh, uh, at, um, UBC here and uh, VGH. We start at 8 o'clock. So your senior will be uh, going early to uh, split up the patients who were seen by the emergency room team overnight. Um, Usually at 8, everybody will meet on the ward. You may have a case or two to review with the resident who was on overnight. You guys usually try to do some teaching around this case and either you'll go uh, see the case together as a team or else uh, split the list and depending on how busy of a day it is. But um, splitting the list, so you'll have a list of patients and your senior will divide them up and get, assign them to either a resident or yourself as a med student. Med students will start off like maybe one or two patients and then kind of three. And then at the most, you probably seeing four or five patients a day. Uh, when you guys are seeing patients, how it works is you'll review labs and notes from overnight. You'll chat with the nurse to see how they were doing and if there's any concerns. Uh, you'll go see them. You'll ask them about their problems, um, get a sense of how they're feeling do a physical exam, whatever you think is appropriate for the day. Usually as med students, I would encourage you guys to examine them as much as you can because uh, obviously you're trying to develop those skills and get a sense for what no- what's normal what isn't normal. Uh, you'll finish doing that, you'll review the labs, uh, and then you'll develop your issues list and plan for the day. Uh, that is the plan then you'll present uh, to the team when you guys run the list uh, in the afternoon. Um, you'll kind of try to think about what you would want to do for the patient, what differential diagnoses are, and then kind of how you, how you need to work them up or kind of what other treatments you need to consider. Uh, then your uh, senior resident or your staff will give you corrections for that, you'll write those orders out um, and then once that's all done and your notes are written, then you'll uh, go home for the day. If you guys are on call, how that usually works is you'll show up to the eMERGE at like 4 or 5 o'clock, you'll introduce yourself to the senior on overnight. The senior's job is to accept the consults from the emergency room, triage them, meaning take a look at them, make sure they're stable and appropriate for the CTU ward, uh, put in a couple covering orders to make sure that they're safe and then uh, call you up, give you the, the skinny details on them, and then let you go to the consult. The consult is kind of what you guys have been learning about, kind of reviewing the past medical history, meeting the patient, taking a full history, doing a full physical exam, reviewing investigations, then coming up with an admission plan, and uh, then reviewing that with staff overnight. You guys would maybe see like one or two at the most when you begin, and then as you kind of get uh, faster, maybe more like three or four overnight, but obviously they take a bit more time than kind of just rounding on a patient, so um, they can be a bit more involved. Uh, And then you go home post call the next day.
1: So when you're looking at sort of like how a medical student does work, it's kind of you kind of feel like you're just working all day. Like you go to school all day and then you come home and you study. Um, But like sort of when you look back on it, like in school, you're not working that hard and like the work isn't too active. (laughs) <laughs> um, so how does that kind of workload differ um, for being a resident? Do you feel like you work harder, work more?
0: Well, oh, I'd say you're working probably a lot harder as a resident. I like to think of everybody on the team as being there for a specific goal. And that goal falls somewhere on the spectrum between there to work and there to learn. Obviously staff is there to work and like they have very minimal learning throughout the day. Residents are somewhere in the middle where they are kind of there for service and that they're doing a lot of the grunt work, they're writing a lot of notes, they're running back and forth doing a lot of labs and the consults and the grunt work, but they are learners at the end of the day and they're still trying to learn. So they have educational opportunities available to them. They have a half day once a week where they're excused from clinical duties to go and learn and study. Um, Students are on the opposite end of that. So you guys are not expected to have a huge workload. The idea is that we give you lots of time to read around your case, to develop a plan, to spend a lot of time examining your patient you guys generally don't have as complex um, a patient as like a resident might carry so i would say you are working but it's mainly kind of like reading and developing plans Uh, if you guys are needing to consult other services obviously that's one of the tasks that you're expected to do Um, but a lot of your role is mainly just to learn and like a minimum amount of service in terms of writing notes and that sort of thing one of the things you guys have to do is call, but we generally try to keep those fairly educational for you. We give you guys good bread and butter cases that aren't too complex. Uh, they shouldn't be that sick <laughs> for you guys. Um, and the idea is that you're you're there to, as a learner. So um, most of your e- energy during the day is spent kind of trying to read and learn and kind of present a case. And um, I, I wouldn't say that you are necessarily uh, um, workhorses <laughs> like a resident is, but. <laughs> Uh, as you kind of yeah, as you advance right, and as you kind of get more capable, and you need to learn a little bit less, like you've you see in your hundredth AKI, or acute kidney injury, and you don't have to necessarily read up about it anymore. You can kind of do that a bit quicker. So you'll pick up more patients, you'll do a bit more service, um, and then as a resident, obviously, you're doing a lot of service. You're expected to kind of work a bit harder, see more consults overnight, be able to do things more efficiently. Um, but you still have your time for learning. As a senior, you're doing a bit more um, administrative work um, and a little less learning, a little more teaching. And then as a staff, obviously, uh, your job is mainly to work and teach and kind of review everything and make sure that uh, things are going okay. Um, So clerkship, I would say, is definitely a lot more work than uh, pre-clerkship, but it's obviously like way more fun, uh, way more interesting. I think it's definitely uh, way better for solidifying information. I remember meeting my first patient as an MSI3 uh, who had a case of cirrhosis and um, I remember like reviewing like kind of the physical exam findings of cirrhosis going to examining her seeing all of those things and like f- for the next five years like she is the person I remember when I- I'm examining someone for cirrhosis because she had everything I saw it it stuck in my brain for the first time um, so it's a really great learning opportunity and I hope you guys will be able to focus on that and
1: yeah so so the work only goes up from here. <laughs> nice. Good. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, I liked absolutely. it better when you were giving us good news about carms
0: Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to that. No. Get your Friday beers in now, boys. Oh, what? Are, what, are, what are those? <laughs> Can't even spell beer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing we used to do with friends, if you can imagine. <laughs> Um,
1: so yeah, kind of on a similar vein, how do you feel about other residencies? Like, could you compare like the workload and the type of work of a general internal residency to maybe another specialties residency?
0: It would be very challenging. Uh, I don't really have a lot of experience with other services. Um, as a general rule, I can say that surgical services are busier. Uh, they usually are up earlier. Uh, their calls requirements are generally a bit more frequent. Um, they may not go home as early as as post-call. Um, there are some services which are, or residency services or programs, which would technically be a bit softer in terms of call requirements, uh, work hours, that kind of thing. Um, it would be hard to say for sure, but I do know like like internal medicine, I would say, was probably in the middle in terms of difficulty. Surgical services definitely being harder um, and maybe something with fewer call requirements like uh, family practice or uh, psychiatry might be a little bit less uh, demanding. That being said it would depend on the service that you're on like even a psychiatry resident could be on a internal medicine service or a surgical service which would obviously kind of make them very busy for a month um it tends to vary so it'd be hard for me to comment on anything other than internal medicine
1: so i guess on that note how did you decide on general internal specifically and how did you have the mental fortitude to approach carms for a second time <laughs> <laughs>
0: (laughs) Not mental fortitude, just absolute foolishness. (laughs) Is that not synonymous? (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, So hilariously, for internal medicine, you finish CARMS and then everybody tells you, oh, by the way, you have to decide on the subspecialty by uh, six months into R1, um, which I can tell you right now was not the case. Going into internal medicine, I knew that I pretty much liked everything because I had done a good amount of breadth. Uh, I had done, like I think, nephrology, infectious disease, uh, cardiology, general internal, obviously. Knew I liked pretty much all of it. Um, I knew whatever I did, that I wanted to make sure that I could handle sick patients if they were thrust upon me. So I I think kind of pretty early on, I decided that things, one of the more kind of clinical specialties like hematology, uh, rheumatology, and um, endocrinology probably weren't my forte. In my second year, I did a couple blocks of uh, uh, CCU, so the coronary care unit or the cardiac care unit, and cardiology, and I really fell in love with that specialty. Uh, the nice thing about GIM is that it does contain quite a bit of cardiology. It's like 50 to 70% depending on where oh, you okay. work. Um, so it does give you that option. But I, I did uh, for a long time consider applying to cardiology as well. Um, I was toying with that pretty much up until the end of second year and beginning of third year. I had organized a couple of electives both in internal medicine and cardiology and did end up actually applying to both of them for with CARMS. And I wasn't very... Uh, decisive on that. Somewhere between setting in the applications and um, interviews, I finally decided I was probably going to apply for GIM. I actually did one cardiology interview in Calgary, interestingly, but uh, ultimately decided not to rank it. Um, the CARMS round two experience was a lot smoother. Hmm. Um, I think it's it's, much, it's a much smaller pool of uh, programs you're applying to uh, when you go and meet program directors as a, a clerkship uh, as a student, I should say. It's obviously Uh, quite scary as a uh, resident it's a bit easier there's a few less of you so you get to have a bit more of a collegial relationship with them and uh, they certainly remember you a bit more than they do as a (laughs) a clerk (laughs) because they're not meeting as many of you and it just it just feels a bit nicer and that it's a bit more personable you have the feeling that like they are getting a better sense of who you are as a person your electives there are longer so you can make a better impression the people who are writing your reference letters have, have worked with you a bit more closely um and i think they can kind of bet- give you a better sense of who you are. So I, I definitely felt going into carms round 2 versus round 1 that people had a good idea what my strengths were and i um i consider myself a, a pretty uh enthusiastic and uh, outgoing person and i think i was able to get that across a lot more effectively in my with my letters and my personal letters. So i definitely say carms round 2 was a much um less harrowing experience and i i definitely limited the number of programs i applied to in the second year in the second round uh, just cuz uh, I had a very good idea of where I wanted to end up. It seemed a bit more likely that I would be able to get what I wanted. So I didn't really have to like do a bunch of electives out east because I really didn't have any specific desire to be out there. So the interview process was shorter and then I uh, ultimately matched to my first choice, which is uh five-year uh, GM at UBC, which I think is just a phenomenal program in terms of what they do for their fellows and the opportunities they provide. So pretty thrilled awesome. about That's that. That's
1: awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you like, like, and dislike most about uh, general internal medicine?
0: Oh, nice. Good question. Uh, What I like, um...
1: (laughs) yeah, we decided to get some of the negatives in there as well. Most people just talk about how great their specialty
0: is. (laughs) Totally fair. Uh, Internal medicine, like the thing I love most about it is that like, I just, I'm a huge nerd. Like, I just love, I just love learning about these like very interesting diseases. Like I do like seeing those like weird and wonderful kind of things that you don't see every day. Uh, I love when people come in with very complex patients um, and I can take that person, break that down into like a simple issues list and like uh, take someone who is otherwise very complicated and make a very appropriate plan. Like I feel really proud of myself when I'm able to do that. I I just love reading about all the different systems in the body. Um, I've never really been able, like I do love cardio, but like uh, I also love nephrology and rheumatology and respirology. One thing I really enjoy doing is uh, teaching. Um, I think general internal medicine is very unique among among the other specialties in that it has a very strong focus on bringing learners of all groups together learners of all ages and all levels together and uh, really helps uh, get some exposure to teaching. And I think being able to teach kind of on almost any subject is uh, a pretty phenomenal skill, so something I'm definitely working towards. I love the idea that like if somebody comes in with a fairly undifferentiated patient, uh, within reason I have a pretty good idea of how to approach that. Um, there are certain things identified in clerkship and uh, medical school that really didn't suit me very well. A lot of that was uh, lots of MSK stuff, um, surgery certainly, uh, wasn't a big fan of obsgyn. Uh, Psychiatry was okay but definitely not kind of what I was interested in so internal medicine just seemed like a really awesome specialty to focus on the things that I enjoy and avoid a lot of things that really weren't my style. Um, And I think uh, it's kind of a blessing and a curse in some sense that CTU and internal medicine tends to be a very strong admitting uh, service in most hospitals. Uh, It does give you an exposure to a wide variety of patient presentations. Uh, sometimes it can be quite challenging uh, in internal medicine, especially CTU. Um, you can find that often that you'll get referrals for someone who maybe doesn't necessarily uh, fit the CTU protoplasm, like they're not very necessarily medically complex or very active, but because of some disposition issue, they're unable to go home and they kind of end up on your service. And it's challenging um, when you're trying to learn and, you know, maybe that your, your patients are not someone who's necessarily needs that internal medicine um, presence. Uh, To manage effectively, and it's mainly kind of an allied health issue. I would say that's one thing that's kind of challenging to to deal with. And while those patients are obviously very important, and their disposition issues need to be addressed, uh, you don't get to feel very efficacious managing those. And um, I think that's one of the one of the downsides of uh, internal medicine is that sometimes we have a harder time um, not admitting those patients, I guess, because it can be um, some like they, they do need a place to go and While I am very proud to be a part of a service that takes responsibility for those people who no one else uh, necessarily wants to have on their service, sometimes it it can be challenging as a resident to be uh, working with that overnight. I think the, as an internal medicine resident, certainly when you first start, the diversity of the information that you have to know is just insane Um, overnight. You know, you could basically be met with anything, perhaps not to the degree that an uh, emergency resident would, but um, you're definitely expected to be an expert in a lot of different areas that you might not be, and it can result in some very scary things. And you don't necessarily always have the opinion of a subspecialist there to help you. And uh, so that it's it's nice, and that you do get exposed to that, and you get to learn a lot of things. But it's it's always it can be a little scary. And um, certainly uh, for the first couple years, you're really struggling hard and re- having to read a lot to kind of keep up. Uh, we just recently actually finished studying for a role of college, which unfortunately got delayed due to the um, the COVID uh, pandemic, obviously, but studying for that was very challenging just because there was so much uh, ground that we had to cover. And we definitely started about a year ago and um, to have that canceled this year was a little unfortunate, but right. yeah, <laughs> but it's all right. You know, it, it kind of had to happen and we're running in September. So thankfully we're not deferred all the way to next year, which is kind of what we were was going to happen. Yeah. That's tough. Um, and yeah. I definitely think one of the the last um, things I, I kind of disliked was obviously just the, um, needing to go through CARM's round two and kind of having that, uh, stressor for R1 and 2 Now that I'm in R3, like that, that is gone and I just feel fantastic. I've matched. I'm good. And life has been great, but certainly for the first couple of years, especially can kind I of right up to CARM's as I was toying with cardio versus GIM. It's a lot of, a lot of what you guys are going to go through in third and fourth you You're like trying to decide what I really want to do for a career, figuring out where I'm going to be happy. Can I match to this city? Or do I have to kind of consider more applying more broadly? Um, and even though I kind of had the the knowledge that, like, you know, Scott, you, you enjoy both cardio and JM, you'll probably be happy doing this no matter what. But um, even that, you, you kind of wonder about the future and you, you do get a little bit nervous about uh, making the right call. So um, that can certainly be a challenging aspect to internal medicine for sure.
1: So just from listening to your pros and cons list, it sort of sounds like a lot of your pros that overlap with family medicine and a lot of your cons would get eliminated doing that specialty. Was there any reason why you chose internal over family?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, I think family is a, a freaking unreal career. Like, I definitely think um, like most of my most of my colleagues uh, who went into family are obviously now practicing family docs out in Alberta and some in U- and v- British Columbia, and they're making some great bank and <laughs> making some awesome difference in people's lives. And one definite benefit to family is um, you know it's just so insanely flexible, and you guys can do plus ones and emergency or anesthesia or you guys can become first assist for surgery you can do a lot with a family medicine degree and um uh i think if anybody is kind of like really saying like i i really just like everything i think family is just an amazing option uh with also a really great lifestyle uh i think what uh turned me off of family was um you know just internal medicine like i i think there was a a degree of acute patients there who got who had the ability to get quite sick and um I think that the the skills that I got on CTU and the, the exposure to those sick people definitely made me more comfortable addressing them. And um, uh, not that family practice doesn't occasionally deal with sick people, but I think by and large their their role is to kind of provide um, uh, a good screening practices and like maintain kind of prevention uh, for a, a large number of patients. Whereas, and like, they obviously deal with things like OBSGYN, uh, MSK issues, psych concerns, um, and as for me, I kind of wanted to kind of delve into those issues a bit more, which requires a bit more time, which internal medicine is very lucky to have often in family practice, not so much um, internal medicine. We don't really deal with kind of the obs issues or like the uh, MSK surgical issues. And we, um, you know, we often deal with psych components as part of a presenting complaint, but we don't necessarily have to uh, deal with primary psychiatric disease. Um, so I think just, like, the ability to kind of see more complex patients, have the ability to see more rare presentations, certainly sicker people, and being able to manage those effectively um, and kind of just be able to kind of delve more into pathophysiology and uh, management of diseases, I think, was really kind of just what turned me more onto internal medicine versus family. Um, but, like, at the end of the day, like, family is on the differential for everybody. It's, it's truly just, like, a really amazing career. So I strongly consider pretty much everybody to to at least give it a try because like you're not going to find such a great flexible job with uh, a pretty decent lifestyle kind of anywhere else in medicine so
1: well on the topic of making great bank (laughs) do you feel that um residents are adequately compensated for the amount of work they put in and the hours they spend in the hospital
0: it's a very hot topic obviously (laughs) um so uh, a couple things so i originally as i said was from alberta where the residents are probably one of the better paid residents in the country every province kind of pays their residents uh, a different fee um i went from that to uh british columbia which is one of the um provinces that pays the least amount to residents okay (laughs) um our yeah (laughs) it's i think it's the second if not the worst i think it's the second or third worst so it's it's not the it's not the the best province for resident salary um when we started, I believe our salary for an r one was about fifty k before taxes, which equated to about thirty five k net after taxes mm-hmm. um for somebody obviously living in Vancouver uh trying to pay off uh, medical school debt yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it was it was like challenging to kind of uh stay uh financially neutral during that time and um thankfully kind of as you move up in the the ranks to r two and r three you do get a raise um which does help quite a bit. And recently I've t- undertaken kind of moonlighting shifts or clinical associate shifts where I'm able to get some additional income, which is quite exciting and definitely helpful for the bottom line. Um, it's a very challenging argument. On the one hand, residents um, I think are under recognized as like the really the backbone of like the hospital, like the hospital uh, doctor workforce we are running the show basically overnight. Uh, We do most of the consults, most of the grunt work, and we have staff just supervising us, and perhaps you know, in other specialties like surgery or uh, anesthesia, the staff is playing a more integral role in kind of the day-to-day, but uh, more in so internal medicine, I think they tend to be a little bit more supervisory and the senior resident kind of takes the role of kind of like the main leader in the trenches and the junior residents and the students are certainly uh, kind of doing a lot of the grunt work. Um, Residents, we, we are still learners. Um, and we are getting paid, obviously, because we have to support our livelihood. Um, I think the the reality is that at the end of the day, we are we are learners who are expected to provide a service in exchange. We get teaching and the ability to get a job at the end of residency. Um, that job is, is the job security is generally pretty good. We're fairly recession proof in terms of people. We're always going to need physicians. Um, and the generally the the promise is that once you finish your residency you're going to get out and find a job somewhere and, and make a good amount of money that's going to help you pay off your debt so um certainly you know from medical school you have access to a decent amount of line of credit and that kind of thing so i don't think uh too many people are um uh too financially uh, in the hole right now of course that's easy for me to say i don't have a family and i don't have kids to deal with and that All can right. obviously quite significantly change kind of your financial situation um, that being said, I was also told as an R1 to never calculate how much I made per hour. Uh, <laughs> one day I did and I went into a spiral of depression for a couple months after that. Yep, yeah, that sounds about <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you know, like 35K a year when you're uh, doing one in five call and, uh, you know, working like 10 hour days on CTU, it's not great. That's the reality. You're, you're getting paid very little for, um, what you're able to offer and, um, the reality is that like the financial situation is probably not going to be ideal for the short term, uh, but the, you're thinking you're kind of playing the long game. So, to answer your question, is uh, n- in the short term, no, I don't, I don't think we necessarily are paid uh, what we should be uh, in terms of uh, the amount of work we do and the service that we provide. But at the end of the day, the the, the goal is to get somewhere where you are going to be uh, better financially compensated. And I, I, I don't think that any staff has ever had any problem telling me just get through it and you'll get through the other side and you'll be yeah you'll pay off your debt in a matter of months if you're um able to kind of be smart with your money yeah
1: it's a tricky combination of being a learner and being an essential worker
0: quite challenging yeah it's actually it's kind of nice uh, i tell lots of my friends who ask me how i'm doing during all the uh, the covid epidemic and i say honestly i have a stable job i'm working i'm not stuck at home i get to see lots of my friends at work and right um, like I, am going to come out of this with a salary throughout the entire thing. So right now, and during the COVID pandemic, I'm actually a, a fairly, very lucky person to have right. what income <laughs> I do. <laughs> Sounds
2: like, uh, a lot of that is what we hear quite a bit in med school is, uh, you know, you put putting in the work now for, for the future,
0: right? So exactly right. You know,
2: always something to look forward to. Yeah. You can look at it that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> trying to
2: put the optimistic spin on it
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um
2: but actually speaking of uh medical school again um personally we know you from clinical skills um so we know you're mm. quite involved with teaching medical students and residents um so i wanted to give you a chance to speak a little bit more about teaching in residency and, and how you kind of got into that
0: oh sick um so as a med student like when i uh, graduated to msi 2 um I think very early, early, even before med school, I knew that I really liked kind of education. I had uh, spent most of my summers kind of coaching swimming. Um, I had been like a residence assistant uh, in my residence over at U of A called Lister Hall. And if anybody listening knows what that was like, um, (laughs) (laughs) a bit chaotic, certainly. Um, So even as an MSI too, like I was volunteering in leadership positions. My friends and I ran the orientation week committee, uh, during MSI 3 as a clerk, uh, my friend and I became the um, operators of a mentorship program called Coffee with Clerks, which is a phenomenal experience, and the, the idea behind that was that we paired first-year preclinical students with clinical clerks, who then met and kind of talked about the first couple of years of med school and what clerkship was like, and kind of gave them some exposure to that. And,
2: oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, and additionally gave them some le- some lectures to the first and second years about uh, how to shadow, how to set up set up those electives, how to study for exams. Um, how to study for the comprehensive exam at the end of the year and kind of how to uh, go about preparing for clerkship. As I mentioned before, the, one of the most harrowing experiences was showing up on the first day of my junior uh, residency and realizing that I had to teach medical students. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously quite challenging, and I, I, I suspect you'll be quite surprised to realize that you have some excellent points to give them. Uh, when they ask about X, Y and Z, you may not know, always know the answers, but um, you'll be able to do something. Uh, as I progressed through my uh, junior residency, I found that there was a couple topics that I was often kind of going over with students. And so I decided to make something called a, a teaching script for myself. Uh, the idea was that I would kind of think about, okay, so like as a student, these are the things I need to know about AKI. I need to know like pre-renal, renal, post-renal. And so I kind of wrote on my, uh, my little OneNote or whatever on my phone so that I have it with me. Uh, just a quick series of questions and things like, like uh, some details that I would want to make sure that I hammered down. So that like when a student was like, oh, can you teach me about AKI, I could just quickly review my phone and be like, okay, so these are the things we're going to learn about today, uh, X, Y, Z. Um, those were very helpful, especially going to senior uh, residency, where sometimes your staff kind of blindsides you with, oh, Scott, can you do some teaching on this topic? And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah, totally, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's great to like just have a couple teaching scripts on the fly so that you can kind of quickly review some Key details that you forgot and some quick important numbers, <laughs> so that uh, you can kind of mostly impart some correct information. Someone told me once that uh, only 75% of what a resident tells you is accurate. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's still a med school pass. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly right. Yeah, 60%. We're fine. We're laughing. But over the uh, over kind of the last couple of years in the uh, in talking to kind of some other preceptors who uh, have really amazing teaching skills, I've like identified a few tips that have kind of helped keep me keep my teaching uh, pretty solid and really like if you think about it like when you teach someone they're only going to retain a certain number of information so hammering down like three quick points that you can get across in five minutes is a really uh, effective thing that i try to stick to um i always encourage people to kind of uh test your uh students Uh, level of knowledge and asking some probing questions to begin with and you'll be surprised kind of what they will be able to remember and and tell you and then you can use it as a jumping point from there and be like okay so you actually already know pre-renal post-renal let's explore renal a bit more so like what categories do you know in renal and they'll say uh and you can go okay great so let's (laughs) let's show you i'll show you an approach to this and um it's really great that uh, when you start to realize that you have a lot of experience to uh to impart on them and a lot of clinical pearls that you've learned through your own trials and tribulations and uh, I think the thing I love most about teaching is that it uh, grounds me and reminds me like, wow, just how far I've come and uh, humbles me a bit too when I get a, a very astute question from a medical student. Like, <laughs> I have to be like, oh, you know what? Actually, I don't know that. Let me go. Uh, let me go learn that later. Um, so I think teaching is a really awesome thing. And I encourage you all as early as you can to kind of consider how you might teach this to someone else, because it's also a great way for you to learn as well.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a great learning opportunity. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's awesome.
0: Um, you would not believe I, I met you guys in clinical skills and the amount of review that I had to do before and after those sessions uh, was pretty astounding. So I thank you for giving me the opportunity to brush up on some of my physical exam skills.
2: I mean, we reviewed probably quite about the same. So <laughs> <laughs> <Sweet. Good. laughs> yeah, it's a lot to it's a lot to digest. So I'm glad you're in the same boat.
0: Absolutely. Oh, always. <laughs>
2: um, one other quick question I have on, on those lines is I'm just curious about when you have a medical student that's either shadowing you or you're trying to teach during clerkship or you're they, they're in that capacity. Um, what's something that you really like to see uh, on their behalf?
0: Oh, good question. Um, I'm sure you guys will have some sort of block before clerkship kind of talking about this, but um, I will tell you right now, um, maybe some people will disagree with me, but I could honestly care less what a medical student knows um the thing is i can always teach you guys and you'll learn as you go through clerkship and that's going to be where the bulk of your learning occurs like this pre-clerkship stuff is basically just to give you guys uh enough to kind of be able to keep your head above water and then um i think clerkship is really where you learn how to swim so i could care less what you know what i do care about is first of all that you guys are interested and that you're showing up on time and keen uh when we're dividing the list that i want you i want to see you guys offering to take patience and um, offering to do menial tasks because it shows me that you're engaged and wanting to help out and for me that's awesome uh, I want to know that you're a good person <laughs> like, <laughs> you know you could be you could be, you could could be, be the smartest person in the world but if you're a, a dick on service then like I absolutely do not want to give you a good reference letter because I don't right. want you in my program like sorry right. man yeah you have to work with them oh yeah no I'd much prefer someone that I can uh, chill out and have a good conversation with rather than somebody who knows everything but is a total dweeb <laughs> <laughs> um <yeah. laughs> Um, And the last thing I guess is like uh, I want you guys to be reliable in terms of like if you're asked to do something that you guys do that and follow up with it and let me know if I ask you to do uh, reading about a particular topic that you struggled with I want you to go home review that really good come back in the morning and tell me Scott I reviewed this I learned XYZ and uh, most importantly if you guys have anything that you're nervous about or concerned about from a patient uh, I just want to know about it I don't care that you've solved it on your own or that you've kind of made some impulsive decision Um, That could put the patient at worst. I just want you to be like Scott. I am worried about this I it might be stupid, but I just want to double check with you. That's okay I have had so many I actually hilariously uh, One time on service we had a a gentleman who uh, a student was seeing for a number a a long time And the students are great because you guys have lots of time You get to spend a lot of time with your patients get to know them quite well Uh, While running the list she said "Uh, Scott uh, I don't know if this is a big deal or not, but I just noticed that mr. B Uh, cannot read my name tag, and he was able to read it a couple days ago. (laughs) And I was like, that's kind of weird. So we went and so we went back. What an astute professional. (laughs) Well, yeah, I know. And I was like, and I I, I could tell she was so nervous to tell me because she probably thought it was nothing and stupid. She was like, I just, it was just kind of weird. He couldn't really see the letters very well but I know he could read it before because I showed it to him a couple days ago. <laughs> we went and examined him. He had cortical blindness. We got a stat CT and he'd had a stroke. Wow. And no one else would have picked that up but a med student. Uh, I had some another, res, another student who spent a lot of time with his patient just tell me, oh yeah, he's got some dark... Uh, blurring of like the top part of vision like retinal detachment really like, yeah so um i would say you guys absolutely have the ability to affect patient management just because you guys spend so much time with your patients and so if you think something is wrong chances are good that there is something off and i wouldn't in- i would definitely encourage you guys to kind of just voice that um that would be something that i think always earns huge points in my uh, students books if they observe something and are able to report that to me so um i do encourage you guys to uh to be very communicative and not feel like you have to have all the answers but um, the, the acronym that we often, or the demonic we often use is available, affable, and uh, not so much able, but, uh, you know, the, be on time, be keen, be a good person, um, and communicate with the team and do kind of what, um, do what you're asked and kind of be a reliable team member. So that's, that's kind of how I would, uh, set you guys up for success in your clerkship. Great. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, for one, love the passion you have for teaching, and I do not think enough can be said about good mentorship and the effect that can have on students' learning. Yeah, I'd agree. Rad, man. Before we end the episode, I'd just like to ask you a general question. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice before starting your residency or even earlier, like before medical school, what would you say?
0: Oh, wow. That's a really good question. This is Carm's
2: round three, basically. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um gosh i oh oh yeah so i think the best piece of advice i could give you um as a medical student i was very nervous about making a mistake i um obviously because i wanted to look good and i felt like i had to impress people all the time i was very reluctant to give plans up front because i was worried i was going to be wrong I think if I were to go back and be a medical student again, I would just make as many mistakes as possible. I would just like throw myself and be like, okay, this is my plan. I want to do this. I want to give this man anticoagulation. I would say like firm, I want to do this, this, this statement. Um, As a senior, I know that like, I have a plan already for this patient. Um, And I know that you're going to try to make a plan and we're probably going to have to like tweak it a bit. Um, Worst case scenario, the absolute worst case scenario is that I say something completely out to lunch, but I have researched it, I've committed to a plan, and then I can go back and say, okay, this was wrong for this reason, this was wrong for this reason, and that is where the best learning occurs. And I feel like I would have done a lot more learning had I just been more more encouraged to kind of like make mistakes. The best case scenario, if you're a student and you present a plan that confidently, and there's like a one in a hundred chance you got it exactly right, <laughs> you're going to look so unbelievably clutch that yeah. your senior's going to be like... Okay. okay. <laughs> this guy, he knows his stuff. <laughs> um, so and like in that way, kind of, if you seem more confident and you're trying to commit to plans and you're really taking ownership of that patient and really trying to pretend that you are their physician, you are just going to get so much more out of your learning. Um, so my biggest piece of advice to you would be like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Get your get your hands dirty. Volunteer to do procedures. Volunteer for the extra tasks. Do as much as you can because one day you will be a resident and you will be expected to do these things. And if it's the first time you've ever done it before or like committed to a plan and wrote the orders down yourself, it's gonna be really, really scary. (laughs) And you're gonna have to do that learning anyway. So do it when you guys are a med student because that's like the safest place to be.
2: That is wonderful. (laughs) I feel
0: (laughs) a little bit empowered, ready to roll. (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah, Uh, it's good. Make those mistakes, it's awesome.
2: That is great. And you know what, I think we will. (laughs) <laughs> oh you will i'm well on my way <laughs> never succeeded so much
0: <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Uh, we're doing great we're doing the lord's work absolutely this is great and
2: so i think that's a an awesome way to end our episode so once again just want to say a big thank you to uh dr scott stewart for joining us on the show today and uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing you again in clinical skills when we get
1: eventually back to it crossing my fingers thank you dr stewart
0: (laughs) it still sounds weird when you guys call me dr stewart uh (laughs) but thanks guys that was awesome
2: Yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining us. So thanks for listening to Metamorphosis. You can check out more of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay healthy and remember to wash your hands.
0: This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network.